chapter 22. Bright Hour. Great Confessions of a Split Consciousness. Quoting Johannes R. Becher, De Vagtse Massa, in De Rota Fana, October 4th, 1927. Do you live today? No, you don't. You wander like a ghost. I have only seldom met an intellectual who would not have admitted this in a bright hour. Only a few have acted on this knowledge. They went on wandering hauntingly, thrown hither and thither, defenceless victims of an insoluble contradiction. In the twilight of the cynical structure, confessions often anticipate possible exposures. They are the rides of bravado of an irritated consciousness that now and then violently seeks out confession. T. Reich's compulsion to confession. They violently seek out confession in order to find an excuse and achieve a catharsis and an inner equalization of pressure. Those who live with their times are acquainted with such cynical confessions, which also do not alter anything. Perhaps they are the most prominent element in what today we can call zeitgeist. Unhappy consciousness too knows its most developed and most typical outgrowths that bear the colour of the decade more than anything else. The phenomenon of the quote-unquote bright hour strikes the eye of the historian who reads the traces. In several ways, Weimar is a nudist era, an era of exposure, politically, sexually, in sport, psychologically, morally. The nudist and confessional urge is the obverse side of all the sophisticated inconsequentialities, strenuous pseudo-realisms, and artificially construed ideologies. The best authors were active even at that time as phenomenologists of cynicism, Brecht, Toller, Kessner, Roth, Dublin, T. Mann, Feuchtwanger, von Herweth, Broch, to name a few. To the present day they maintain a lead in this area of a professional philosophy. The quote-unquote brightest hour was described by Eric Kessner in his Fabian, 1931. The scene takes place in the editorial office of a Berlin newspaper. See chapter 9, School of Arbitrariness. Kessner possessed an intimate first-hand knowledge of the milieu. The participants are Herr Dr. Fabian, Germanist, moralist, Münzer, the political editor, Malmi, the economics editor, both died in the wall cynics, as well as Dr. Urgang, translator's note, literally erring walk, unsalaried clerk, a young man too unstable for the milieu. Later, Strom, the theatre critic, joins in. It begins with a search for a news item to be printed in place of five lines that have been struck out of a speech by the Chancellor. Nothing suitable can be found in the brush proofs. Urgang thinks that something appropriate could perhaps still come in. A very long quote here from Fabian, chapter 3. 
You should have become a stylite, a stylite. You should have become a stylite, said Munza, or a person detained by the police, or some other kind of person with lots of time. When you need a report and you don't have one, you invent it. Pay attention. He sat down and quickly wrote a couple of lines without thinking and gave the young man the sheet of paper. Now get along with you, column filler. If it's not enough, a strip of slug. Her air gang read what Munsa had written and said very softly, Almighty oh, God, and sat down as if he suddenly felt ill on the chaise long in the middle of a crackling mountain of foreign newspapers. Fabian bent over the sheet of paper that quivered in Erdogan's hands and read, In Calcutta there was street fighting between Mohammedans and Hindus. Although the police soon brought the situation under control, there were 14 dead and 22 wounded. Order has been completely restored. But in Calcutta there have been no disturbances at all, Erdogan replied resistingly. The disturbances did not happen, Munsa asked, in sense. Would you like to prove that to me? In Calcutta there are disturbances happening all the time. Perhaps we should report that the Loch Ness Monster has been sighted again in the Pacific Ocean. Note the following. Reports whose falsity cannot be established, or can only be established after weeks, are true. And now, get yourself out of here in a hurry, otherwise I will have you set out a matrix and add something to the local edition. The young man left. And someone like that wants to become a journalist, sighed Munzer. What can you do, he said. By the way, why the sympathy with the people? After all, they're alive, all 36, and are perfectly healthy. Believe me, my dear, what we compose in addition is not as so bad as what we omit. And with that, he struck another half-page out of the text of the Chancellor's speech. You mustn't take anything to heart, said the commercial editor to Fabian. He's been a journalist for 20 years and already believes what he lies. Do you disapprove of your colleague's indolence? Fabian asked her Malmi. What do you do besides that? The commercial editor smiled, of course only with his mouth. Well, I lie too, he replied, but I know it. I know that the system is false. With us in the economy, a blind man can see that. But I serve the false system with devotion, for in the framework of the false system at whose disposal I place my moderate talent, the false measures are correct in the nature of things, and the correct measures are, understandably, false. I am a devotee of strict consistency, and in addition I am... A cynic, Munzer threw in, without looking up. Malmi shrugged his shoulders. I wanted to say, a coward. That hits the mark more exactly. My character is in no way the equal of my understanding. I regret that uprightly, but I no longer do anything against it. Afterwards, they sat in a small wine bar. I help in doing the wrong thing consistently. Everything that assumes gigantic forms can impress even stupidity. Munzer sat on the sofa and suddenly wept. I am a swine, he murmured. A typically Russian atmosphere, observed Strom. Alcohol, self-torture, and grown men weeping. He was touched and stroked the politician's bald head. I am a swine, the other murmured. He said nothing more. Melmi smiled at Fabian. The state supports unprofitable large companies. The state supports heavy industry. Industry markets its products abroad below cost, but it sells them within our borders above the world market price. The state accelerates the dwindling of the buying power of the masses through taxes, 
It doesn't dare lay on the property classes. In any case, capital flees in billions over the borders. Is that not consistent? Doesn't madness have method? There. Every connoisseur's mouth waters. I am a swine, murmured Munzer, and with his pouting lower lip caught the tears. You overestimate yourself, honourable sir, said the commercial editor. These cynical egos are appendages of their cancer-ridden consciousness of reality, which obeys the rules of the game in the capitalist world without resistance. In it, there is no misery that does not reflect itself, double itself, and ironically mirror itself in tormented confessions and aggressive consent. The significant writers of the time behave toward these phenomena as minute-takers. They know that the people at the centre of things know what they are doing, Journalists in particular cannot appeal to any form of ignorance. That a commercial editor makes such a confession about capitalism as the false system that he serves with lies and devotion belongs to the great moments of truth in Weimar culture. Without insight into the reflective constitution of the cynical structure, a concept of truth for these kinds of situations can no longer be defined. Discreetly disinhibited, to the present day it is people of this kind who have grasped the unity of madness and method and who will say so among friends. In the quote-unquote bright hour, the masks of integrated cynics crumble. Where private confidences and alcohol have helped things along, the decomposition presses threateningly and garrulously out into the open. A manufacturer's monologue from Joseph Roth's novel of 1927, Die Flucht ohne Ende, Ein Flight Without End, a report, runs along the same lines. The scene takes place at a party in a Rhenish town. People are talking about fashion, the latest models and hats from Femina, about the workers and the quote-unquote decline of Marxism, about politics in the League of Nations, about art and Max Reinhardt. The manufacturer, in a conversation with Tunde, the hero of the novel, loosens the laces in his patent leather shoes, undone his collar, stretches out on a broad sofa. In free association, he turns his companion into a witness of his self-analysis. A quote by, from Roth's Die Flucht ohne Ende, pages 76 to 79. Earlier on, I understood you perfectly, Herr Tunde. As far as I am concerned, I posed my questions for a quite definite egoistic reason. In a certain way, I was obliged to do this. You don't understand that yet. First, you will have to live among us a little longer. Then you will also have to pose certain questions and give certain answers. Everyone here lives according to eternal laws and against his will. Of course, when they began here, everyone had his own will. He arranged his life completely freely. Nobody tried to interfere. But after some time, he did not even notice that what he had set up through a free decision became, if not written then holy law. You don't yet know how frightfully open eyes it has. Now, occupation too, as far as I'm concerned, is not such an important thing. How one makes a living is not decisive. But what is important, for example, the love for wife and child. If you began through your own volition to be a good family man, do you believe that you could ever stop? When I came here I had a lot to do. I had to borrow money, set up a factory. 
Thus, when someone came too close to me with something or other, I got him out of my hair in a coarse fashion. I thus became a bore and a man of deeds. People admired my energy. The law overpowered me, commanded me to be coarse and to act carelessly. I must, you see, talk with you as the law commands. We're just like me. All people lie. Everyone says what is prescribed by law. The petite actress who asked you earlier about a young Russian writer is perhaps more interested in petroleum. But no, the roles have been allotted to everyone. The music critic and your brother, for example, both play the stock exchange. I know. And what do they talk about? Cultural matters. When you come into a room and you see the people, you know at once what each will say. Everyone has a role. It is so in our town. No one is in his own skin. And it is the same in our town as in all others, or at least the hundred largest towns in our country. This manufacturer even thinks through the compulsion to become cynical. Boorishness. Of course, without penetrating the compulsion to conform to this reality as such. These are flashes of illumination after which the twilight returns. One knows what one is doing. At any time, if someone asked, one could also say what is wrong with it. One calls it the compulsion of the system. Realism. Life becomes one great big agreement to collude with the half-measures and torpor toward which the majority tends. Over the country there hangs a pseudo-realist psychological smog, a semi-darkness of hardening and demoralisation, insight and resignation, drive for self-preservation and ambition. Consciousness is alert, but so as to become anaesthetised, it continually casts a side glance at the reality that cannot be changed. Quote, In everyone the ice dogs bark. Not everywhere do things remain on a level of lacrimose and momentary cynicism. Gottfried Benn tried to make the great hour out of the small, bright hour. He outdid the vulgar schizophrenias by distilling lyrical states of the highest quality, from the German sicknesses of modern times. From the cynics, yes, to an incurable reality, isolated flowers of evil can spring. Ben was one of the most significant secret agents of his time, who let the cat out of the bag about the collective spiritual condition, and made confessions of such explicit sharpness that everyday understanding usually does not comprehend them because it does not have the courage to take them literally. Quoting Gottfried Benz, Doppelleben, Double Life, from Collected Works, Volume 8, pages 2004 to 2009. A double life in the sense claimed and lived out by me is a conscious splitting of personality, a systematic, tendentious splitting. On this, let us listen to the Ptolemaic. Suffering. What is that anyway? You have dammed up waters, open your sluices. The times do not suit you. A placard on your desk and large writing. That is no different. Composure. Things are going well for you. Outwardly you earn your money and inwardly you indulge yourself. You can't have anything more. That is the situation. Recognise it. Don't demand the impossible. Make do and look on the water occasionally, he says in conclusion. But that too is not resignation. That is eclipsed by his Dionysian motif. All that together results over and over again in this principal maxim, recognise your situation. 
That is, accommodate yourself to the situation. Camouflage yourself. Forget your convictions. On the other hand, go along with convictions, worldviews, syntheses, and all directions of the weather vane when institutions and officers demand it. But keep a cool head.